Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hello, everybody. Quick reminder before we dive in, we've got our first live podcast coming up on September 7th, 2023 at the Armory in Boston. Uh, we're going to have a very special guest. And when I say very special, I truly mean that. This is going to be awesome. It's a very small venue. So if you want tickets, go to the link in the show notes. Double quick. If this experiment works, we may start doing live shows around the country and the world. So uh, I'm excited to see how this plays out. Let's talk about today's episode, though. I may have made this observation before on the show, and it may not even be an original observation. However, it is my view that one of life's most fascinating and thorny paradoxes is that, on the one hand, we need other people in order to be happy. On the other hand, other people can be a gigantic pain in the ass. As the French existentialist writer Jean-Paul Sartre once said, hell is other people. And yet we know from science that perhaps on a much deeper level, hell is loneliness, which can really degrade us both psychologically and physiologically which leaves us with a tricky task. If we want to take our happiness seriously, we need to cultivate good relationships while being aware that this shit ain't easy. All of which brings me to today's guest, who has become an expert in toxic people, or as she calls them, emotionally immature people. We've had the clinical psychologist Lindsay C. Gibson on the show once before. That was last year in 2022, and it was one of the best performing episodes of the year. So we thought we'd have her back because she's out with a new book called Disentangling from Emotionally Immature People. It's the fourth in her ongoing series on this topic. In this conversation, we start with a, a run through of the basics on the cardinal characteristics of emotionally immature people or EIPs, how to spot them and why you might want to. Then we turn to what Dr. Gibson means by disentangling from EIPs and how to do it. By the way, disentangling does not necessarily mean estrangement. What often happens to your own sense of self when you're in relationship or even just in a conversation with an EIP? How to best interact with an EIP, specifically how to prevent brain scramble when you're talking with somebody who isn't making any attempt to understand what you're saying? how she, Lindsay, reacts when she comes across EIPs in her everyday life, whether it's possible to have immature characteristics without being an EIP, handling your own emotionally immature tendencies, whether or not EIPs can change the limits of estrangement, and why she encourages alternatives to forgiveness. One quick audio note here, you may hear a few stray background noises on Lindsay's end. That's the nature of remote recording. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile. Third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. What I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. I highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the, the first 15, 20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. Lindsay C. Gibson, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's great to be back, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. We talked about this the last time you were on, but for people who didn't hear that episode or haven't had time to go back and listen to it, can you just give us the basic definition of emotionally immature people? Sure. Emotional immaturity is a line of development, just like people develop in their intellect, they develop in their social skills, they develop physically. These are all lines of development that most of us are pretty adept at noticing whether a person has developed normally in those areas. Emotional immaturity is its own separate line of development. And so you can have a person who could be intellectually very bright, very accomplished, or they could be super socially skilled, the most popular person in their group. But that doesn't mean anything about their level of emotional maturity. Emotional maturity really is seen when the person is under stress or if they're in an emotionally intimate relationship. Those are the two places that emotional immaturity shows itself. So there are a lot of areas in life that people show up in that don't have to do with emotional intimacy and they don't have to do, you know, with stress. They're they're just normal daily functioning and these people look perfectly normal. But when they go home and they are faced with relationship issues or stresses that they may not show in other situations, then the people who are living with them 
really get to see the emotional immaturity and they really bear the brunt of it in a way that other people might say, what, your mom, she's so sweet, she's so cute. Or it could be, your husband, he's such a great guy, what are you talking about? It's because it's not going to show up until these particular conditions are there. So if we wanna just do a quick run through of the characteristics of emotional immaturity, the first one is that they tend to be very egocentric. These are people who are self-preoccupied They're always thinking of what's in it for them, how is it going to affect them, and they really don't have much appreciation that other people are psychologically real on the inside. They're more like characters in a play that the person is in. They have poor empathy. It's hard for them to feel what other people are feeling. So they don't have great imagination when it comes to putting themselves in someone else's shoes. And they don't mentalize what other people are probably thinking about. They also have very poor self-reflection. So if they have a problem in a relationship or you know, a problem at work, they're not going to ask themselves, gee, you know, did I do something to cause that? Was there something that I was saying that was making this person uncomfortable? That would not occur to them um, because they externalize and project blame for most things that go wrong in their lives. This makes it very hard for them to change too, because the people that come to psychotherapy usually are the ones who are asking themselves those questions. And they do have the potential for transformation because they're showing some curiosity about how they're showing up in the world and the effects that they're causing, but not the emotionally immature person. They're very afraid of emotional intimacy. Like when you try to get close to them or open up to them or get them to talk about themselves at a genuine, deeper level, they're likely to back up and become very uncomfortable, brush it off, change the subject, make a quip. They just don't like to be down in that kind of emotionally intimate, deep kind of interaction, which is tragic when it's their child, because that's what kids need, is someone who can go down in their feelings with them. And then finally, they do this thing where they interpret reality according to how they feel. So if it feels like something is happening like against them, then that's fact in their mind. If they feel like you don't like them or you're criticizing them, even if that's not your intent, it's not what you said, They use their feelings, just like little children do, to tell them what the external reality is. Now, this is like a really immature way to do life because you can't guide yourself effectively through adult life on the basis of what things feel like to you. I mean, we can use our intuition and we can use our feelings, but we need to have an external objective ability to interpret reality based on something other than our own egocentrism. 
And they also tend to adjust reality so that it doesn't upset them. So they will deny things, dismiss things, distort things. Like It never happened. I never said that. What are you talking about? Because if they don't want to deal with it, they will just not deal with it. So those are some of the cardinal characteristics of emotional immaturity. I remember the last time you were on, you were talking about some of the cardinal characteristics. And my question was, wow, I I see a lot of myself in that. Um, (laughs) And we are going to talk about later in this discussion what to do when you're noticing emotional immaturity in your own mind. But let's just stay with other people for a second. You said something interesting about how emotional immaturity shows up in one of two places generally. One would be under stress. The other would be in emotional, intimate relationships. And I'm remembering what I thought was a very wise thing that a friend of mine said to me like 20 years ago. I said this cliche thing about how when people are under stress, you really get to see the real them. And my friend, who went on to become a psychiatrist, he was not medically trained at this point, said something that's always stuck with me, which was that actually, no, I think when people are under stress, that is really not who they are. It's, you know, the amygdala, the stress part of the brain is activated and and it's who they are most of the time. That's the real measure. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I think your friend is right. I mean, I would hate to have somebody judge my emotional maturity on how I act when I'm super stressed. I mean, <laughs> but it's more like you can think about it as when you're stressed, you're going to use certain coping mechanisms. Just, you know, that's what we all do. We have our defenses, we have our coping mechanisms. The person who is relatively emotionally mature, even when they're stressed, they're still going to be aware of the effect on other people. They're still going to be aware of the realities. You know, they may be upset. They may be, you know, out of their mind with anxiety or worry. But some of these foundational things, you're still going to have the feeling that they are in touch with reality, even though reality is making them suffer. But they're still in touch with reality, and you can still relate to them, okay? With the emotionally immature person, it's likely to be much more black and white, much more of a rigid response, much more judging, blaming, denial, distortion, insisting. So that is what you're really looking for during the episode of stress is what is the quality of it? Are you still able to reach that person? You know, is there somebody still in there? Or are you just dealing with a bunch of reactive defense mechanisms that's all about trying to make them feel better? And then as the stress goes down, does the person come back and say, wow, I'm sorry, I was so off the wall with that. I was just really scared. I didn't know what I was going to do, but, you know, sorry, I talked your ear off. You know, they'll have some awareness that they weren't quite themselves. Whereas an emotionally immature person, they won't come back and do that kind of self-reflection. That's not what they're focusing on, is how they've affected other people. Does that help? Yeah, it does. Okay. How do we spot an EIP and... 
What's the benefit of spotting them? In other words, what's the benefit of making this amateur remote diagnosis of somebody else's phenotype? So yeah, two-part question, how do we spot them and why? They can be very hard to spot because a lot of them, especially if they have narcissistic components to their personality, and by the way, the way I look at it is that all narcissistic personality disorders are emotionally immature, but certainly not all emotionally immature people are narcissistic. So it's kind of like a a subcategory. But they're very hard to spot because, like I said, their social skills, their intelligence, all of that is fine. And so you may be really drawn in and really relate very well to them for a long time. You know, like let's say you're doing something in business with them or let's say you start to date them. Things can go well for a long time. And I'm reminded of the psychiatrist, Hervey Cleckley, who worked with psychopaths who certainly are emotionally immature. And he said that he could always tell a psychopath because that was the person he lent money to. <laughs> so, so, I mean, we, even if you know about emotional immaturity, you're going to respond to charm. You're going to respond to attention. You're going to respond to social you know, charm and and facility. I mean, we all respond to that stuff. But over time, as you get to know the person, you're going to find out a lot more about how they cope with life and how they treat other people. At the beginning of the relationship, uh, you know, you may feel like the only person on earth in their eyes. But as time goes on, you'll see how they handle disagreements. You'll see how they handle it when things don't go their way. And you'll see what they do when it looks like they're not going to get everything that they want. That's kind of where the rubber meets the road. And you start to see, you know, some of these things be directed back at you in a very unpleasant way, or maybe you'll get the cold shoulder, but it won't be that they will come toward you and try to work it out with you. What they'll do instead is express their displeasure and hope that you get the message that you need to shape up and be the way that they want you to be. So I think it's crucial that we be aware of emotional immaturity and look out for it because what happens if we go ahead and marry that person or We go ahead and make that business deal, sign that contract with somebody who's not able to do some of the basics of working out problems with other people. I mean, that's that's a terrible situation to get yourself into. So, yes, the why is because it's going to be a hard road with that person if you have to negotiate or work things out with them when things get tough. And it's much easier to spend the time up front to get to know them better, you know, to kind of suss out whether or not they do handle things in emotionally mature ways. It's much more economical to spend the time up front than to pay later. How do you know you're right? I mean, most of us are not clinicians. So how do we know if we're right in our diagnosis? Well, to me, you know, it's going off those hallmark characteristics Because every one of those spells trouble 
for a long-term relationship. I mean, if you don't have empathy or you are not comfortable with intimacy or you can't self-reflect, for instance, you're not going to be a very good partner in any kind of relationship. It's going to be hard on the other person. You don't have to be a clinician to know that when somebody gives you the cold shoulder, speaks curtly to you in a way that makes you feel very small, refuses to talk with you about problems because they just don't like it, they just don't see why they should, any normal human being is going to have a reaction to that because the interpersonal quality of a relationship with an emotionally immature person is that sooner or later, you're going to end up emotionally taking care of them, putting them first, and kind of agreeing that they're the most important person in the relationship. And that gets tiring. But you'll be able to tell that, and people do tell it early in relationships, it's that they haven't known what to call that. And so they might have those experiences and then chalk it up to, oh, he was tired or, you know, I wasn't very sensitive to her or, you know, they'll make excuses for it. That's why I think it's so important for us to know about emotional immaturity, because some of these things can be lifelong patterns that maybe you don't want to get involved with. Your book is about, the new book is about disentangling from EIPs. And I, I want to talk at great length about that because sometimes disentangling is not really an option or, or it's more difficult if it's like your boss or your parent mm-hmm. than, a, you know, a prospective romantic partner or business partner. Anyway, I do want to get to that. But before we get into that, I'd love to talk a little bit more about EIPs generally. And let me just throw a bunch of questions at you and you you can, you know, pick whichever one is interesting to you. I'm just curious, like, how common do you think this is as a percentage of the population? And how does an EIP get made? Why are they this way? Yeah. Remember what I said about the quality of the interpersonal relationship is going to have a particular tone to it. Like, you're going to end up being the one who feels responsible for emotionally stabilizing the emotionally immature person. They kind of give you the job of making them feel better or calming them down. And they also give you the job of making sure that their self-esteem stays good. So those two interactions are very central to any kind of emotionally immature relationship system. You're going to find yourself put in the position of being kind of an emotional caretaker or the person who beefs up their self-esteem. And that's why I said it's very tiring because it's an energy drain to be that alert to another person's inner state. So, you know, when you hear terms like energy vampire or, you know, how draining someone is, that's because they're not able to really modulate their own emotions and soothe themselves. And so they turn to you to help them regulate their own emotions. Now, that's exactly what little kids do, and we expect them to do that. That's normal and healthy because they can't regulate 
their internal state. They need to be able to come to an adult and have that adult understand with empathy what's going on inside that child and then respond in ways that soothe them, help them learn how to calm down. And that's normal development. The child gets their self-esteem internalized through many interactions with their parent where the parent loves that child and adores that child. And that little child is just the cutest little thing ever. And the child feels delighted in and they internalize that self-esteem. Well, for emotionally immature people, what probably happens is that there is some difficulty that occurs in the attachment process or in the basic quality of relationship with their parent or their caretakers. Something happens where they're not able to trust and complete that process of internalizing their own comfort and their own ability to regulate their reactions and responses to stress. It may be that they experience trauma. Trauma just stops development in certain areas. That might happen. There might be external things that break apart the parent's ability to be there for the child through no fault of the child or the parent, you know, like natural disasters or illnesses, things like that. But the problem is that that child's developmental needs, their emotional needs, don't go away because there's been a natural disaster. They continue. And when the parent may be too overwhelmed to respond to the child, the child's not getting something that it needed to continue their psychological growth, their emotional development. So that's how it may happen. I don't know that there are any studies about emotional immaturity and how it develops yet, but we certainly have a lot of information from attachment studies that when the child is not in a securely attached relationship early in life, they don't pick up a lot of these things that we assume a a normal person to have, like the empathy and the ability to think of other people. And then for the how common is it, I think you can read the news or watch the (laughs) the world scene. Who could she be referring to? (laughs) Who could she be referring to? I mean, mean, it's all over the place. Um, People behaving badly. People who react to stress by starting wars, you know. Personally, I think, you know, all you have to do is read the newspaper and realize how widespread emotional immaturity really is. Because you can see the egocentrism, you can see the refusal to self-reflect, you can see the lack of empathy, the distortion, the denial. I think it's probably very common, but I have no idea of the percentage. I just suspect it's higher than we want it to be. I have a million other questions about EIPs generally, including whether they can ever change. But let's come back to that, because I I do want to get to the tactical information and guidance for those of us who have EIPs in our life and want to disentangle. Again, disentangling is in the title of your book. What do you mean by that? What does disentangling look like? 
Yeah. Well, you know, I was describing how emotionally immature people set up their relationships. I call it the emotionally immature relationship system, meaning that they're looking for you to help emotionally stabilize them and build up their self-esteem. And they're also looking to be the most important person in that relationship. That's what they're all about. So that system needs to entangle you in it for you to be constantly available to them in a way that makes them feel good, okay? Makes them feel calm, makes them feel stabilized. So we get entangled because we end up finding ourselves pulled into a role of kind of uh, psychological caretaking that we never anticipated, we never signed up for, and yet we're deep into it. We're, we're dealing with their reactions. We're helping them to feel better. We're dealing with their anger. There are a lot of things going on that tend to pull people in to a relationship that ends up feeling like you're tangled in it. It doesn't feel like you're free to be yourself. It doesn't feel like you're important too, or you're just as important as them. It feels like they're the ones who are consuming all the resources in the relationship. And also because emotionally mature people don't have a great sense of self, they tend to do this thing that has been called enmeshment, meaning that they kind of draw other people into their sense of identity. So let's say that a woman marries a man who then becomes part of her identity as a successful or a, a socially well-respected woman. But he becomes, in this example, kind of an object in her life that is for the purpose of her own identity. Or let's say it's a, a mother who insists on telling her grown child what to do, how to live their life. And that enmeshment means that the boundaries are not good. The boundaries that should be there between two individual adults are not being respected. And that other person is seen merely as an extension of the emotionally immature person. And that kind of bond to someone who is seeing you as sort of a, a, an extension of themselves, I mean, that feels awful. And people want to, at some point in that, they begin to want to get away. They begin to have to distance themselves from that person. But what I'm trying to do in the book is not just how do you distance yourself from a person like that, because most people figure that out, but if you have to be in relationship with them or you want to be in relationship with them, how do you go about psychologically disentangling yourself from them? How do you find yourself after you've gotten tangled up in being who the emotionally immature person thinks you ought to be? So disentangling doesn't necessarily mean cutting off all ties. It can mean just having some inner boundaries. Yes, exactly. That's a really good way of saying it. It's inner boundaries. It's a sense of self-possession, a sense that I know where I begin and end, and I know where you start, and I can tell the difference between what I want and what you want. 
And I'm not going to be manipulated into losing that distinction. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? So if you've got a boss or a spouse, a sibling, a friend or a parent who's got an instrumental view of you (laughs) where they're enmeshed in a way that you just become an extension of their ego, how would you manage that on an ongoing basis if you didn't want to cut them out of your life? Yeah. Well, the fact is that as long as you're unconscious of the process, as long as you're unconscious or unaware of what is happening between you, like what the dynamic is that you're being kind of maneuvered into this particular role, or you're being maneuvered into following these expectations or else you're a bad person. If you're not aware of that, you probably are going to get maneuvered into that because they're so good at it. Hmm. You know, believe me, they've gotten really good at getting other people to take care of them. And so if you don't have that awareness of the dynamic, you're going to move into that relationship and be kind of taken over by them. So for me, it seems crucial that people be aware of what emotional immaturity looks like and what its motives are. Its motive is not to make your life miserable or to harm you or anything like that. The motive of the emotionally immature relationship system is I can't do it on my own. I'm immature. I don't have a strong sense of self. I can't figure the world out very well. And I need somebody to run interference for me. I need somebody to take care of me. They're not bad people at all, but they're scared people. And they're inadequate in many respects. And so, you know, if you have an iota of empathy, you're probably going to sense that about them. And it can pull you into a relationship where, you know, you really end up letting them get away with too much and you set your boundaries too late. And these are things that can be avoided if we're aware of some of these signs of emotional immaturity. The first step in not getting enmeshed is to begin to ask yourself whether or not this person seems to be able to take my needs into account as well as theirs. Can they handle problems? Can they handle frustrations? What happens if we have a difference of opinion? What happens if I need their help? Do they respond? Are they always too busy? I mean, What's the quality of the relationship? And when sooner or later you begin to feel taken advantage of, or it begins to feel like it's kind of outweighed on their side about who's getting the most attention and benefit from the relationship, when that starts to happen, that's when you need to become very observant and very objective about what's going on in the relationship. And by that, I mean that you begin to observe how they're behaving, what they're doing, and you kind of narrate it to yourself. So you it increases your objectivity and your perspective so that you're not pulled in to this entangled relationship where you're just reacting emotionally. For emotionally immature people, it's a dream come true 
when you go in and you are reacting emotionally to them because they're so effective at using that to get what they want. So when you pull back and become objective and observational, you are freeing yourself from that emotionally immature relationship system and you're giving yourself an opportunity to really be yourself in that person's presence instead of just the reflection of what they want to see. So that being yourself is so crucially important for therapy patients, people I've worked with who have people in their lives like this, that's the number one thing we have to do is just to get them to pay attention to what they want, how they feel, what they think is right, because they get so muddled up with being consumed by what the emotionally immature person wants. I mean, when that system is working, that's where your thoughts go is, yeah, but what about them? What, what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to her? It's like, remember to take care of yourself first and to make sure that you set boundaries that give you the space to be in touch with yourself like that. Coming up, Lindsay C. Gibson talks about what often happens to your own sense of self when you're in relationship or even just in a conversation with an EIP how to interact with EIPs more effectively, how she reacts when she comes across an EIP in nature, whether or not EIPs can change, and the limits of estrangement. The weather is getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands by partnering directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash happier. Just go to Indeed.com slash happier right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash happier. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A big theme in the book, in your new book, is authenticity. How if you were raised by an EIP or you're in a relationship, a deeply enmeshed relationship with an EIP, you can, these are your words here, you can trade authenticity for approval. Mm -hmm. So you kind of lose your sense of self because you've got this interpersonal mind virus going on. Yeah. And I, if I'm hearing you correctly, when the rubber hits the road and you're in an interaction with an EIP, you really need mindfulness, self-awareness to see, okay, am I being who this person wants me to be right now or am I being who I am? And that seems tricky in and of itself because it's possible that you've actually never explored that question of who you are and what you want. Yeah, isn't that something? I mean, that is really what it comes down to because if you have been raised by emotionally immature parents yourself, You've been trained to put yourself at the very back of the line. You've been trained to think about how what you do is going to affect the people in your family. You've been trained to think about how is mom or dad going to feel about this? How do I keep them calm? So, yeah, absolutely. You can come to an adult relationship with an emotionally immature person. And if you've been raised with them, you are automatically, like you said, Dan, you're automatically going to put them first. It's just going to feel natural. It's going to feel normal to do that. And then you're going to lose touch with what is actually going on inside yourself. So when you brought up that term, the mindfulness, exactly. It's like you forget to even experience your own presence. It's not something that you've ever been trained to do if you were raised by an emotionally mature parent. And it's so important. It's interesting when I think about this in my own life. I don't think I was raised by EIPs. I, I, maybe I'm not seeing my parents clearly, but I think they were quite mature and pretty great parents. But I, I believe there are people in my life, including some bosses over time and particularly charismatic colleagues and actually not a few family members who fit the description. And when I interpolate back to those interactions, I really see, I don't love the word authenticity. I love the concept, but the word, sometimes it can be so vague or cliched mm -hmm. that I, I lose a foothold in, in the true meaning of it. And yet I can really see that there are times when I'm dealing with an EIP that I do lose my authenticity. I'm playing into their hands because I'm so eager to like not be the bad guy. Exactly. Exactly. And they are very adept at giving you a sense of moral obligation to yeah. do that. It's not just take care of me and make me feel good about myself. It is you have a moral obligation to put me first and take care of me because that's what good sons, good husbands, good friends do. And then you get kind of emotionally coerced into feeling bad because it generates guilt or shame, self-doubt. And what does a self-reflective person do when they have self-doubt? 
they start looking for information outside of themselves to kind of get a read on the situation because maybe they're wrong, you know? But that is, like you say, that is like playing right into the maneuvers that emotionally mature people do to keep themselves feeling safe and in control. I actually don't like the word manipulate because I don't think they're doing it consciously. I don't think they're doing it to harm anybody. I don't think they're trying to make other people's lives miserable. I think these are all defensive maneuvers to keep them from feeling inadequate or afraid or something really really awful. I think I think they're trying to stay away from some inner fears and some insecurities that they really don't want to get in touch with. They're not trying to do that at your expense. It's just like a person who's going under for the last time is not trying to drown the person who's rescuing them. It's just they need someone to stand on top of yeah. to get a breath of air. I appreciate that perspective. Do you ever get uh, perversely excited when you meet an EIP out in nature, you know, at a family barbecue <laughs> or at a whatever, <laughs> because you, it gets you to like, it gives you an opportunity to just study them in the wild? Actually, I I have to confess that I do get a little excitement when, <laughs> when I encounter them in the wild, <laughs> just because I know what I'm looking for now, you know? And then let me also hasten to add that I also get excited when I run into emotionally mature people because I can tell who they are too. You know, they're the ones who listen. They're the ones who remember what you said, you know, two minutes ago, who try to integrate what you told them into something else that they're asking you about. You feel calm in their presence. You feel safe in their presence. So I get excited by both of them. The fun is not the analyzing them. The fun is not getting pulled in to something where in the past, you know, maybe I would have lost myself or lost my perspective with this person. Yeah, I can imagine it's like testing your skills in real time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You talked about emotionally mature people and how it's fun to run into them and your nervous system senses it. You feel safe, calm, heard, Mm -hmm. understood brief tangent I recently read somewhere. I think it was on that there's this excellent newsletter called The Marginalian. And either the author or somebody she was quoting talked about how understanding is actually just another name for love, mm. uh, which I, I actually find mm-hmm. that an interesting concept. Yeah. But anyway, you talked about how it, when you're with an emotionally mature person, you feel like they kind of get you, they're clicked in, they're listening, they're switched on. I don't know if I'll be able to articulate this well. It put me in mind of a kind of definitional question about emotionally immature people, because you spent a lot of time in this interview dwelling on this concept of emotional enmeshment. They feel like they're drowning. They feel unsafe. So they co-opt other people as life rafts in a hostile world. They didn't get the support they needed, perhaps, as a kid. And so they're just constantly latching onto it now. And yet, when you listed the many hallmarks of emotional immaturity, there were other aspects to it, like interpreting everything through the lens of the self, being totally self-centered, believing that you're right all the time. I think you mentioned that, but maybe you didn't, but Mm -hmm. at least, okay, you did mention it. So I feel like I know a lot of people who have those characteristics, perhaps even myself, in spades. Mm -hmm. And maybe they don't have the whole enmeshment thing, at least clearly. And so I'm just wondering... Would they not qualify fully as emotionally immature? 
What I look for is kind of the opposites of those hallmark characteristics. In other words, let's not forget that if we are nervous, sick, fatigued, going through an emergency, our emotional maturity will probably plummet. Nobody is at their most empathic, non-egocentric best when they're really sick or things are really going wrong. So regression absolutely can happen to all of us. I certainly don't count myself out of that because I know how I've been when I've been in some rough situations. It's like, you are not your best self. You're not thinking about other people in the same way you would when all your needs are being taken care of. So we have to keep that in mind. But, you know, a person can show egocentric qualities. They can have poor empathy at times. They may not be great at self-reflection. They may get uncomfortable when things get too emotionally intimate. And you have all these characteristics But if you have the ability to be otherwise at other times, to me, that's a person who does have adequate emotional maturity because at times they are capable of true empathy. I mean, they aren't just doing it to get what they want. They really can't help but feel what somebody else feels. They really do take other people into account. You know, like maybe they wouldn't do something because it just wouldn't be right to the other people. They don't know these people, but they just don't think it's fair that they do this because they have that sense of other people are just as real as I am. You know, they may shy away from emotional intimacy at times, but when it comes right down to it with their good friend or their mate or whoever, of their child, they can be right there. They can be fully present in the moment. They can tolerate it well. They can be available for other people. So the way I look at it is you can maybe grow up in circumstances that teach you a lot of emotionally immature qualities that you may show as a matter of habit or familiarity. But if you have the other characteristics, that ability to have enough of a sense of self that you can care about other people, care about yourself, be kind, that kind of thing, see reality for what it is, then I would consider that person fundamentally emotionally mature enough, okay? Even if they have some of these other characteristics. I mean, it's like a lifetime work, if that's the case, because you have that self-reflection. And so you're able to watch yourself and realize, ooh, I didn't like how I did that. Or, ooh, it's not really a great style. That's not the way I want to treat people. And so you can learn and mature, and hopefully uh, (laughs) people do do that across their entire lifespan. Let's get back to disentangling. Creating some distance from an EIP per your book can be quite difficult. It can lead to difficult interactions. You describe how some people on the receiving end of a difficult interaction with an EIP can experience brain scramble, where you just can't think clearly. What are some tactics and tools we can use if we're in a heated interaction with an EIP and we're trying to stand our ground? 
Yeah, I would say that many times when we're in a heated interaction with an EIP, and particularly if we're trying to stand our ground, we're probably going to come out of that interaction exhausted and frustrated because the more reactive that you get and the more you fasten on an outcome that involves their changing the less likely you are to handle it in a way that is going to be best for you. So it's not a good thing to go into an interaction trying to sort of fight your way out of it because the emotionally immature person is going to change and shift and evade and deny. And, you know, you're going to be so frustrated because they don't fight fair. They don't fight objectively. And if you're trying to stand your ground, you can read that as you're trying to set a boundary of some sort, that to them is like, you know, you're threatening them with kryptonite. There's an existential horror they have of someone who is insisting that they will not be controlled by them especially with narcissistic types. It threatens their story about the world, which is that with enough pressure, with enough intimidation, with enough strength, they can have what they want and they can get other people to capitulate. So it's much better, I think, if people can, again, remain self-possessed, think of what the outcome is, not trying to change the other person or change the relationship, but just think about the specific outcome that you want from this interaction and then try to stay calm and oriented toward that outcome. That tends to work better. And then it's a question of repeat, 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 because the emotionally immature person does not do well with a lot of repetition like that. Someone who just perseveres with their point of view. I mean, that becomes very uninteresting to the emotionally immature person. Lots of times they just back off or they bring it to a halt themselves because they don't know what to do with that. They're used to people giving in to them. Either giving in or mimicking or engaging in the kind of histrionics that are perversely nourishing to them. Yes. So just to, to repeat it back to you, it seems like if you're in a, a difficult interaction with an EIP or a series of difficult interactions, it's helpful to have a very discreet goal that does not involve changing that person or permanently shifting the relationship. You have a very discreet goal. It may be like, I, you know, want to make clear that this one thing you're asking of me, I'm not going to do just by way of an example. And you repeat it clearly and consistently, and it's likely that they'll just get bored. And that's how you can get what you want. Well, that's how you can stick to your position. Mm. See, sticking to your position is a major accomplishment with emotionally immature people. I mean, if you can do that, if you can go into an interaction uh, with a certain goal in mind for yourself, and you walk out of that interaction with that same goal, I mean, hallelujah, that is a fabulous accomplishment because they haven't scrambled your brain or pulled you off of your own path to the point where 
you don't even remember what you were trying to do in the interaction, which is what happens a lot. You talk about in these interactions you, to have a, a discreet and realistic goal and not to, you know, be looking for changing the other person, the EIP fundamentally. Can an EIP ever change? If they have self-reflection, if they have a little bit of self-reflection, I mean, that's what it takes for anybody to change. How can you change yourself if you have no desire or no ability to look at your own behavior? I mean, that, that for me, that's the absolute essential. And sometimes it's only when things get really bad that someone is able to be self-reflective. With substance abuse, we you know, have often heard that thing about hitting bottom and so forth. And it doesn't necessarily have to be hitting bottom, but it has to be some experience that brings self-reflection into the picture for that person, whatever that might be. And once they have a little bit of self-reflection, which may be brought about by a family member who says, uh, you know, if you don't get therapy, I'm not coming home anymore. Or if we can't work this out, and if you can't change some of these things, I can't stay with you. Lots of times people are motivated extrinsically if they're emotionally immature, because they are realizing this is what's going to happen if I continue on this path. That's the beginning of self-reflection. Like people who enjoy introspection do self-reflection because it's fun for them. For the emotionally immature person, they may have to be dragged kicking and screaming into self-reflection. But once they start to do that, you can, in therapy, you know, like you can actually nurture that curiosity about them and how they got to be that way. And so I think they can change. I just think that getting them to the point of self-reflection is, is really the very, very hard part. Which is why you advise that we go into these encounters with realistic expectations, not like holistic change expectations. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you expect the other person to change, I mean, you have zero control over that for one thing. And it's usually a goal that you're going to fail at, which is not a great way to go into an interaction. As I keep saying, the book is about disentangling. One way to disentangle is complete estrangement. However, you say that there are some limits to estrangement. It may not solve everything. What do you mean by that? You know, it seems like moving away from somebody or not seeing them anymore could be a perfect solution to a difficult relationship. But what often happens is that because human beings carry the patterning of their relationships inside them. I mean, that's how we grow up. That is how we psychologically mature, is by internalizing interactions, internalizing other people's feelings and statements and so forth. We build our personalities from what's on the outside. But once it's in there, once we've patterned ourselves, we can move across the country, never see the person again, and still carry around the beliefs about ourselves, the attitudes toward life, 
the sense of inadequacy that may have been our experience with the emotionally immature person. We carry this with us. So when people attempt kind of the geographical cure or the estrangement cure, you have to realize that it may still be necessary to seek out therapy for all the internalized patterns, the impact of that on you that you still carry around. You know, personally, inside myself in the therapy session, I'm not thinking, gosh, how can I get them to cut out contact with this toxic parent? I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking, how can we get this person to stay connected with themselves and stay in touch with their own needs and feelings, even while they're interacting with this very difficult person? How can we get them to develop the inner strength and the sense of healthy entitlement to be their own person as they interact with this, this immature person. Let's do the necessary work on the inside to strengthen the person in their own individuality, not just take them out of the situation and still have them be living all of this inside themselves. What do you find generally works in terms of building up somebody's individuality? I think... In therapy, when you go in and you sit with somebody who looks at you like you're really there and treats you like you're psychologically real, that somebody's in there, that you have something to say, and that even your smallest feelings are important. When you get that experience with somebody, Hmm. you begin to feel what it's like to feel like an individual. And a lot of people haven't had that, unfortunately, in some of their major relationships. So in therapy, you're actually getting the experience of being treated like an individual. You know, but this could happen with a with an excellent spouse. This could happen with a best friend. It's like people say that how important relationships have been in their lives. And, and this is why, because that person recognizes your individuality. They relate to you as a person who has their own thoughts and who has their own feelings, and they treat you like you're real. And it helps you develop yourself. I mean, you believe it when somebody sees that in you. And so learning how to reconceptualize yourself as an important individual who is real on the inside and who is just as important as everybody else, is like a tremendous antidote to what you are conditioned to accept with emotionally immature relationships. The antidote to an EIP is an EMP. (laughs) Yes, and also your own sense of individuality and worthiness. Yeah. Which is developed through interacting with the emotionally mature, who can attune to you, Mm -hmm. can mentalize, in other words, can see you as somebody who has their own psychological reality that can wake something up in you and you see, oh yeah, I have agency as well. Yeah, I love that. That's so well said. Mm -hmm. To wake something up in you, that is what you hope will happen. Because a lot of times emotionally immature people kind of put you to sleep. (laughs) You know, it's like you're under their spell or it's 
impolite to notice things that they're doing or how you feel. So yeah, that sensation of being woken up to that is extremely important. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Coming up, Lindsay talks about why she encourages what she calls alternatives to forgiveness, handling your own emotionally immature tendencies, and how to prevent brain scramble when you're talking to somebody who is not making any attempt to understand what you are actually saying. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter, and you need that kitty litter to do the job, which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long-lasting ammonia control so your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs, and it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. Tidy Care Alert uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. It's spring, and that means it's graduation season, and I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favor. Did you know that you can get personalized M&Ms? You can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. They showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% Happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&Ms, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&Ms, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order. If you've interacted with an EIP, either on a super deep level as, you know, having been raised by one or two, having had an uh, intimate relationship with one, or even on a less enmeshed level, like working with or working for somebody who's emotionally immature. If you've had this experience, you may be pissed about it. And, you know, I'm just wondering, like, is forgiveness the right move? You and your book talk about something you call alternatives to forgiveness. Yeah, I think it's really been a big cultural emphasis on forgiveness. And I I mean, some of it is religious, But I think it's now kind of edged over into being, you know, sort of a recommendation for mental health. And I think it's so unfair because I don't think people have a lot of control over whether they're able to forgive somebody. Forgiveness, I think, comes to you when it's ready, when you're ready. 
I don't think it's something that you can healthily push yourself into or aspire to because forgiveness has to be something that genuinely comes from the core of yourself, at least in my definition of forgiveness. It's not lip service. It is a almost a reconsideration of what happened to you to where you can respond with compassion maybe for the other person or certainly for understanding that person's limitations that made them do that. Or maybe for some people, the wholesale religious forgiveness works. Okay, I'm not denying that that happens. I'm just saying to suggest that as a therapeutic approach or a therapeutic method, I don't think is fair to people. And I certainly tell people in therapy that that's not a goal we have to have right now. It has nothing to do with them being a good person. It has nothing to do with their recovery. What will influence their recovery is they're working through the feelings of what happened to them and owning that as a part of their new individuality. And when they can do that later on, they can decide whether or not forgiveness is in the cards for this relationship, okay? But it's not something that you can make yourself do. So we have to be respectful of that. So what would fall into the category of an alternative? Working through the feelings. I see, I see. It's not mm-hmm. some, there's not like a cousin of forgiveness that you're recommending instead. Hmm. Is there a cousin to forgiveness? That's a, that's a great question. Maybe like understanding the roots of it. Like if I can understand why you're in EIP without yeah. forgiving you. Yes. Actually, the understanding or the insight to why a person is that way can lead to a kind of compassion. Now, as a good human being, maybe at some level, a part of you could feel that compassion. But there might be this other part that is nowhere near forgiveness. I mean, we're a multiplicity of parts in our personalities. That's the way I look at it, and a lot of people look at it. We're not one homogenous attitude. So yes, you can have compassion for them. You can have understanding. Uh, It can make you less angry. But as far as the forgiveness goes, again, that belongs to a part of you that we probably grow into that, maybe is, is another way to look at it, but maybe we don't. And I just think that's all right, too. One of the things you talk about in the book is handling your own emotionally immature tendencies, how we can, you know, notice when we're displaying internally, externally, or both. One of the hallmarks it reminded me of a story of the time I was on a my first vacation I ever took with my wife and what my then girlfriend, now wife, and I, we were taking off on a plane going to London. And I said, it's the me and you show starring me. And <laughs> <laughs> it, it's definitely an emotionally, it was a joke, but it definitely an emotionally immature thing, you know, like, you know, I'm the more important person in the relationship. So what do you recommend when we're seeing this kind of tendency come up in our own mind? Hmm. It's such an ongoing, I mean, to me and, and, and in my life, it's such an ongoing discovery because 
Half the time, these are things that we have learned either because we watched our parents do it or our own natural, developmentally appropriate grandiosity wasn't helped to kind of come back down to earth and integrate with other people. And so, you know, we can have these pockets of old learning or incomplete developmental tasks that pop up sometimes in very surprising ways. And so we get to, when we're aware of emotional immaturity, we get to recognize that in ourselves or we get to see it and then ask ourselves, is that what I think? Is that, or is that the way I want to be? Or, you know, whatever. And we can begin to choose we begin to create ourselves. I mean, we're creating ourselves every day. I mean, maturation goes on the entire lifespan. And we get to choose which way we want to go. We always have these paths in front of us, these potential outcomes, and we can decide what we want to nurture in ourselves and what we don't. I'll give you an example. When I was working on one of my previous books, I like to camp out at the dining room table. We have sort of an open concept house. And so I would camp out at the, <laughs> on the dining room table. And when my husband would go in and out of the sliding door to the deck, I would shoot dagger looks at him because he was disturbing me. Now, I'm the one who's camped out in the middle of the house, right? <laughs> and he brought that to my attention in, in his kind, reasonable way and pointed out that I was taking up all the room and then being mad at him for living his life in our house. All right. Now, that was something that I had learned from my childhood, which was I learned not to bother anybody. You know, if somebody looked like they were busy, you, you know, walked on tiptoes around them so that they wouldn't get upset with you. Well, my husband isn't thinking like that. And so, He's living his life. And I had to realize, oh, that's a pretty egocentric position where I'm sitting down where I want to work. And then I'm expecting and assuming that he's going to honor the fact that I need peace and quiet. So when that was brought to my attention, self-reflection started. Choice started. Do I want to be like this? Do I want to make him feel rotten for opening the door? No, that's not who I want to be. I get to decide who I want to be if somebody will, you know, bring it to my attention. So, I mean, that's just a a personal example, but there are a million things like that where it does get brought to our attention how we want to develop ourselves and which way we want to go. Yes. And the good news is that if you're paying attention, you'll notice that it feels better to not be an asshole. And that's a very positive upward spiral. Absolutely. Because after that, when I decided to take my little laptop and go downstairs, I had a like little girl pat on the back because I'm becoming the kind of person who in my own house is considerate of this person I love more than anybody. Yeah. Now, that feels good to me, and it's meaningful. So I'm acting in line with my principles, and I my self-esteem goes up as I'm living in that way as opposed to thoughtlessly. 
Are there things that I should have asked you but failed to ask you? Any any place you wanted to go that I didn't bring you? The only thing I, I would like to add is you had mentioned brain scramble earlier. And I, I do want to mention that there's this thing that happens with emotionally immature people where you end up not being able to get your thoughts straight. You're not able to say what you really mean. You lose your track of thought. You become confused. You start to wonder if, you know, maybe you're crazy. (laughs) The effect on people by emotionally immature people can be so disorienting and make you feel so much self-doubt And it's important for people to know that that's normal, okay? When you try to maybe talk to an emotionally immature person about something difficult, you should just expect that you may fail to get your point across. You may fail to do the kind of argument that you had planned because when somebody is not interested in what you have to say— And when they're not listening to you, when they're going off on tangents, when they're acting like there's something wrong with you, that you're disagreeing with them, that is very disorienting and destabilizing, okay? So I just just want to mention that because I don't want people to continue to feel like they're weak or can't keep their thoughts straight when they have an encounter with an emotionally immature person, I want them to realize that's part and parcel of their interactional way of doing things. And if you're aware of that, then you can change it. Then you can go into it, again, with a simplified, focused outcome in mind where you don't get pulled off into these things that don't make any sense. So I just want to mention that because a lot of people don't understand how discombobulating it is when another person is not listening. It's like if a person wants to understand what you're saying, it doesn't matter how you say it. They're Mm -hmm. going to do the work to understand you. If a person doesn't want to understand you, then it doesn't matter what you say because they are not even going to be listening to what you're saying. So it's not like you can ever find the perfect way to approach them because they're not going to be taking it in in the first place. So I just want people to know that that sensation of brain scramble or not being able to get your thoughts together, not being able to express yourself, that is probably a side effect of interacting with an emotionally immature person. That's helpful. What do you recommend in terms of preventing the brain scramble? And is it helpful? You talked earlier about having a simple goal going into one of these interactions. Would that be helpful in terms of preventing brain scramble? And what would an example of a simple goal be? Let's say that you want to tell somebody that you can't host Thanksgiving at your house this year. You want to tell a parent or a good friend or whatever. And you know that this is going to upset them because you always host Thanksgiving. So you're going to have to tell them something they don't want to hear. 
when you go into that situation, you have to decide what is an achievable outcome. Now, the achievable outcome in that case is not that my mother, my best friend, whatever, are going to be happy with my decision or they're going to gracefully accept my position because maybe the opposite is going to be true. They're going to be upset. They're going to try to persuade me. They're going to try to guilt me. But you can have a goal that can be achieved, which might be, I'm going to tell them what my preferences are, what I'm going to do or not do. And then if they try to persuade me, I will repeat myself. And if it keeps going on and it seems like we're getting upset with each other, I'm going to ask if we can table this and talk about it later. Okay, there's my game plan. I'm going to say it. I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to ask to table it if it's not going well. Now I'm prepared. And that's all, every one of those things is under my control. I like that. Before I let you go, can you just remind everybody of the name of your new book? Maybe the names of your prior books, any other resources you've put out into the world? Yeah, the new book that's coming out July 1st is Disentangling from Emotionally Immature People. And it's really geared toward all kinds of relationships with emotionally immature people, not just with parents. It's, gosh, this is like the fourth book, I think, in the series that began with Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, which was the bestseller that really made the big splash. And it's a natural evolution of that book. I do want to mention too, Dan, that if people want to go to my website to see additional information, they can go there to Lindsay Gibson, P-S-Y-D, PsyD.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Meantime, Lindsay, thank you very much. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks again to Lindsay. Always great to talk to Lindsay C. Gibson. Thank you as well to you for listening. Really appreciate that. Go give us a rating or a review. That really helps. Thanks finally to everybody who worked so hard on this show. 10% Happier is produced by Gabrielle Zuckerman, Justine Davy, Lauren Smith, and Tara Anderson. DJ Kashmir is our senior producer. Marissa Schneiderman is our senior editor. And Kimmy Regler is the boss, our executive producer. Scoring and mixing by Peter Bonaventure of Ultraviolet Audio. Nick Thorburn of Islands, a great indie rock band, delivered our theme. We'll see you all on Friday for a bonus meditation. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.